0: Welcome to the Headset Sports Podcast.
1: The show where athletes, coaches, and executives share their stories and insights regarding the mental side of sports.
0: With your host, Jason Gallia. Welcome back to the Headset Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jason Galea. Hello, hello, hello. And I'm excited today to share with you my latest interview. Uh, About a week ago, I was so fortunate to have the opportunity to speak to someone who's a motivator, innovator, and groundbreaker. I was so lucky to be able to speak with the one and only head coach from the Lady Princeton Tigers varsity hockey team, the one and only Kara Mori. Presently, the team is getting ready to take on its arch rival Harvard in the playoffs this weekend. So, good luck and go, Tigers. But beforehand, I was able to steal a few minutes away from her prep time and get a chance to really sit down and, and learn a lot about who Kara Mori is, both on and off the ice. Since 2017, Kara has led the team to uh, an incredible record where they've gone 60, 28, and 10. She's been able to lead the team to its first ECAC title. The team has won its first Ivy League championship and it's also had two NCAA quarterfinal appearances. And in doing such, she set the record for head coach in this position to have the most all-time wins. Not too shabby, not too shabby. Before all this, she was a two-sport athlete for her Brown University, where she competed both as a hockey player as well as a field hockey player. She was all ECAC and Ivy League Player, And on three different occasions, she took her hockey team to um, the NCAA um, finals, where unfortunately they were runners-up both times. But with all of this, she's also represented Team Canada as a player, where she's won gold as an athlete in ice hockey. And she's also won gold, silver, and bronze as a coach for Team Canada's development program. This person is a motivator in that she started her own company where she goes around to huge corporations and passing on leadership skills. And when she's not doing this, she's also a mother of three and a leader of the illustrious Lady Tigers. So when you get a chance, check out her LinkedIn profile, Kara Mori, and you'll learn more about her company that she started, which is called Lead with Kara. And when you get a chance, tune in and listen to this interview where you'll hear about the first ever woman hockey coach to be invited to work with the Broad Street Bullies. Yes, she broke the ceiling, glass ceiling. To get in and work with supposedly the toughest team in the National Hockey League the Philadelphia Flyers so this motivator this innovator and this groundbreaker is here today to talk to me on the headset podcast good morning everyone we're here at the headset podcast and I uh, I'm very, very, very lucky to have someone who's not only far more intelligent than I, but someone who's doing something super cool with a ton of people who are amazing athletes that they too are a lot, lot more intelligent than I'll ever be. I'm here today speaking to the head coach of the women's varsity team at this little school called Princeton University. Princeton Tigers head coach, Kara Morey. So Kara, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to speak with me today. And it, this is a real blast getting a chance to talk with you. So thank you for for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. So w- I have a million questions for you, as you can imagine. And um, I, I, on our podcast, as, as we've talked about already, we talk about like, the mental side of sport. We talk about what yeah. it's like to be an athlete and also what it's like to be, be a player per se. And, and maybe you can tell us just a little bit about how you transitioned from being an elite player into becoming a coach. Mm-hmm. What was that transition like for you becoming a coach? Cause you, you've been involved with elite hockey women's Canadian national program as well. Yep. as Now the tigers, what yep. was that like for you?
1: Uh, it was really long actually. I think um, athlete transitioning into life is a, whole area that needs to be studied and and paid a lot more attention to because a lot of athletes struggle and it's like what do I do next because most of us attach our identity with what we do so we think who we are is what we do and so it's really hard um in fact I think the whole the whole notion of just wearing your last name on the outside of your jersey your whole life is like way more meaningful than people could understand so when I stopped playing, I got married and, and had children, but I couldn't change my name because I wore the name Gardner on my jersey my whole life. So it, it took a long time just to transition to becoming somebody new. Um, and for me, it was interesting. I, I did graduate work. Um, I kind of dabbled in youth coaching and and a little bit of teaching, but but truthfully, I just was a stay-at-home mom for like eight years. I had my young children, I have three daughters and my husband had a really uh, rigorous career and we moved around a lot. So I, I just was a stay-at-home mom and I would try to find girls hockey in every city we would move to. Um, and the last place we were was Arizona and there's not a lot of girls hockey there. Um, but again, like I was just being a mom and then, and then there was a time where I said, I'd like to start my career now. And I always had a passion for like teaching and coaching, but I didn't understand that coaching was really a profession um, because when I played college hockey, um, it wasn't well paid. It was a really tough job um, for families. We played every single weekend. You practice around dinner time. It just it didn't seem like a career. Um, and then the, as you know, I stepped away from the game and saw the college game grow and grow for women. Um, it was something I thought I'd be interested in, and honestly, it fell in my lap. Like I was in Arizona, being a stay-at-home mom, and the uh, second assistant job at Princeton came up. And my college coach called me and said, "You need to do this." And so I applied, and I got it. And really, it's kind of a strange story because most times you have to really cut your teeth and and work your way in. But you know, I was a, a teacher and a mom, and and those two things probably prepared me the most for his profession so um kind of grew from there
0: wow i mean when when you think about it as as a hockey person right as as a hockey lady um you you come from the north of ontario you you've told me um and now you're in arizona you're in yeah. de- you're in desert yeah and and you get ooh, arguably one of the most amazing opportunities in in hockey period Mm -hmm. while you're in the desert, like like, crazy, right? Like, Oh my God. I, I, I didn't, I had no clue what an amazing and and no wonder in our chit chats, how you know so much about West coast. (laughs) It's all coming together now. Wow. That's that, that's that's amazing. So yeah, w- what did you do? Did you just like stop, drop, grab your stick, and run? Like 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 yeah, grab, no. let's
1: go. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that holds us back is we just don't go for things. So like I, I mean, this is for women in general, but but we hold ourselves back when we see you know the criteria for a job, and if we don't check every single box, we don't apply for it. I mean, obviously, I didn't check a lot of boxes. It was my first job at thirty years old, so. Uh, but going for it is you just got to go for it. You got to apply and then, and then put yourself out there and be brave. And, and we had to move a family of five within two weeks from Arizona to Princeton, New Jersey. And we made it work and we, you just, you got to go for things. If you want, you got to put yourself out there. You can think of 10,000 reasons not to do anything. Um, sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta put it on the line and, and it was life-changing.
0: So, so like, you know, this is where the ADD in me is just going to go all the way. <laughs> so, so to to share with with our, our our listeners, right? Um, you started an incredible company where, again, you're launching yourself in, into the stratosphere with, with <laughs> companies that you're speaking with right now called Lead with Kara. And now, <laughs> now I know why, because this, this is this is amazing. You know, we hear about you know the ten thousand hours uh, from like the Mal- Malcolm Gladwell guy. Yep to talk about how to, to get to where you want to be, right? But yeah. you're the first person that's ever said to me something even more prolific and that's we can create 10,000 reasons not to cho- choose to push. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. No one yeah. that, that you you got to you got to TM that or or <laughs> you're sitting on gold there lady. You're sitting <laughs> on gold. So so okay, um, to, to jump in more on our world here. You're, you're, you you're mentioned how out of age of 30, you, you stop, drop, you've got three little chickens, a husband, you, you take off and, and you're getting into the coaching world now. Yeah. And I got to say the challenges that you face jumping in after taking some time off and, and also really taking time off from the game in the sense of being a player, mm-hmm. not being a coach, Time goes by, blah, blah, blah. Generations change. What are some of the challenges that you, that you found in the beginning coaching that generation well, uh, that you got thrown in with?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I did. I stepped away from the game for almost a decade. Um, I didn't even know who the current players were. I mean, I watched watch the Olympics like everyone else. Again, our sport doesn't have a ton of visibility, so I could only connect with it once every four years. Um, which is a problem in itself. So I didn't know the college players playing. I was really nervous at first to just get on the ice because, you know, we all doubt ourselves. And I thought, Oh, they must be like incredible. They're going to think I'm terrible. I'm not going to know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and, you know, in a way, stepping away from the game I think is a blessing if you want to go from athlete to coach, because, I think a lot of times when you're an athlete, you just don't know what I should do. So I'll get into coaching, but you make the mistake of thinking it's just an extension of playing. Coaching is completely different from playing. And a lot of young coaches struggle because they're just trying to fill that void that they feel from not being able to play their sport. And coaching is a totally different profession. So stepping away from the game, I came into it with fresh eyes and a fresh mind and, um, so, there were definitely challenges. Like, I, you know, again, hadn't really been around the game in a while, but you just take those and you find the silver lining and you use those to a different advantage. So, now I saw the game differently from other people because I hadn't been looking at it the same way. They look at certain players and had ideas of what they were, but I didn't see these players. So, to me, I looked at everybody with like a clean slate and they created their own, you know, story for me instead of coming in with. Preconceived notions of, of who they were and and how the team should play. So I think I think everything again. You can look at the disadvantages, but there's advantages to every situation you're in.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's it's amazing what you see, because you're you're taking me back in time here, and I'll share a dumb story with you. When when I was done hanging up uh, the axe per se, and 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 I knew I was done. Um, I, I moved out to San Diego with. A couple of guys that I played hockey with in college, and, and we were all in graduate school, different kind of programs, but um, in school together. And and it really hit me hard that, that I'm I'm done playing, I'm I'm, I'm finished. Mm-hmm. And um, I, 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 it was maybe about I'd say six, maybe seven months after I played my last real game, and the opportunity out here in San Diego opened up for, for, um, for myself to start coaching kids and, and, and my buddies and I who were out here, we'd done this a little bit here and there while we we're in school, you know, you, you go to a, do a camp or you, you help out a buddy who's coaching or whatever. Right. And, and we got thrown into it. Right. So here are the, these couple of guys who just played, you know, uh, collegiate hockey in Canada and, 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 the program here is like, Oh my God, we'd love to have you guys. And, and you get into it? And I got to tell you, I think you, you, you hit hit it on the head. Um, looking back, I, I, I know for myself, I jumped in way too soon, mm-hmm. and and it was to fill a void. Mm-hmm. And just the idea of having downtime and 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 not being at a rink or um, not having something hockey wise to do on a long weekend, it, it was it was frightening. And 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 when I looked at myself now at the way I was coaching kids, then, oof, it was like it it was almost like like, like captain's practice per se. In, in yeah, way. yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like it wasn't. Yes. Um, I'm talking to these twelve year olds. Like, you know, we got we got a big game this weekend, boys. Let's go, right? <laughs> and I'll give you a stupid story, right. So my, 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 two buddies and I are coaching and for the first couple of weeks, um, we realized that these kids, they, they, they don't know anything. So this is a Wee B two team. So these are the kids that could make the Wee B team. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, and the first couple of days we we're out there skating around. One of the guys says to me, he's like, like, I, I don't, I don't understand why these kids are so quiet. They're just so quiet, like, were we like this as kids? No, we were not like this as kids. So all of a sudden, one of the guys blows a whistle and brings the kids in and he says, all right, let's be talking now. Let's be talking. We We want to hear you guys be calling for passes. So yeah, 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 yeah. We know to pass you. So we set up this little drill, right? And kids start passing the puck and we hear the puck slapping against sticks. And all of a sudden, halfway through the drill, he comes over to me and goes, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to lose it. I go, what's wrong? He goes, like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't hear these kids talking. Like, like, like when we were kids, we got yelled at to shut up. Like, like I don't understand. Blows the whistle again, right? All right. I told you guys. I want to hear you call for passes. The kids all kind of look at each other and okay, they nod their heads. We'll go back to the drill. And now the kids are slapping their sticks on the ice. Like, pass. oh, right? So frustrated, right? We get off the ice, two more weeks of this go by. And finally, finally he loses. And he tells me, if we have another one of those practices where these kids are out there like complete silence, I'm gonna lose. And in our third week of practice, five minutes in, same speech, same scenario, same drill. He blows the whistle and says, I said, I'm done. We've had three weeks. Six practices now. I've asked you guys to call each other for the puck. What's your problem? And the smallest kid on our team puts his hand up and he says, What do you what do you gotta say? What do you gotta say? And he goes, Coach, you know we all have mouthpieces, right? We didn't know that they had mouthpieces in their mouths. (laughs) We didn't know. So at that time in Canada, when, when we left, yeah. kids wore neck guards. Right? right. They didn't wear mouthpieces. Right. So like, this is how like, duh, we were. Like, we weren't even aware of the fact these kid had, kids had mouthpieces in their mouth. No wonder they weren't chirping at each other and yelling for fuckers. <laughs> what a bunch of morons we were, you know? <laughs> and, and and don't even get me started about having to deal with the parents. Like, oh my oh, God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for so so years. Go there for 20 years i've been saying the world would be so great if we could just coach orphans yeah yeah totally so 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 let me ask you this now right like okay so so now you're in you're in the mix yep. you're in the fire and and you're coaching you are you, getting your your feet wet your street cred is developing with your athletes and you're sitting back and, and now you're like on the bench and, and you're, you're you're in it now what are some of the things that you notice right off the hopper about the difference between the acts Mm. that you played with and now who you're standing over. Like, what do you, what what do you notice now?
1: The biggest thing that I still notice, the biggest difference is how much they want connection. They want connection with their coaches. And when I was playing, your coach was very separate. I love my college coach and, and she, she's the reason I'm in coaching. But like, I didn't want her to know anything outside of hockey. I didn't want her to know my life. I just like, as in, it was just, there was a separation. Adults were there to be respected and you listen to what they say. And even if you don't like it, you do what you're told and you don't ask why. And that's what I was taught. And it's completely changed. They they want you to care about them before they're going to, you know, go to war for you. So it's really about the connection piece, how much they want They want you in their life. They want you to know what's going on with them every day. They want you to know how school's going. They want you to know how their social life is going. They want you to know about their girlfriend and boyfriend troubles, their family trouble. They want real connection. um, And that's the best way to get at them and and to help coach them these days. And I think that was the biggest one. I think the second thing is, I think there's a lack of resiliency and mental toughness um, that you used to see. like, again, You don't ask questions our players ask why for every single thing. And you have to realize it's not a disrespect. They've just been taught that if they understand the meaning behind something, they will do it better. But also like, you know, again, your coach said to like bag skate till you puke. you did it. And that was that. And you got up and you did it again. I feel like what's a little bit lacking in this generation that I'm seeing now is the the resiliency um they really struggle with failure or perceived failure. Um and that, that's something we work with consistently at Princeton because you're gonna fail a lot here for sure. It's hard. And it's it's hard on purpose. Um, so getting them to pick themselves back up and and fight for another day is one of the challenges that I see with this generation.
0: Uh, that's that's you know you've touched probably my favorite most favorite topic to talk about in resiliency. Um, it's amazing how so many coaches will talk about that term in a non-cliche way nowadays. And, and, you know, I'd be curious to know what what your thoughts and, 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 and and philosophies are on that, because not only are are you a coach, a former elite level player dealing with some of the best players, but in the world, argue, arguably, right? With Team Canada and your involvement there, but you're also a mom, right? And and, and you y- you have the full 360 perspective on, on, on this. You, you're mm-hmm. really, like, you've been there, you've coached the elite, the emerging elite, and you also have the little seedlings at home, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I guess my question to you is, is to throw you under the bus, like, where, why do you think that's the case or, or where do you think this lack of resiliency comes from? Cause I have my, um, I'll share with you.
1: Yeah. I think it's again, I'm, I haven't studied it per se, but I think it's just, we've solved too many of their problems as they're young and their kids. We don't have like, this is going to sound maybe crazy, maybe not, but like, they don't have like even unsupervised anything. They don't have unsupervised recess, like, like where you get in, tussles on the playground and you work it out and you get back up and you figure it out because of parents and teachers and everybody are there to fix every problem and so they don't have the coping mechanisms to fix their problems themselves or you know you'll see in the schools when I was a teacher you'd give a a quote-unquote bad grade but a grade the student earned and the parent would call and try to figure out what what the teacher was doing wrong when I was a kid like by a bad grade, it was. I my parents would figure out what I was doing wrong. They would never blame the teacher, but I think we just. I think that, as parents, we want the best life possible for our kids. I don't think it's anything on purpose. I just think we're trying so hard to give them the best life that we're removing all the obstacles in front of them so that they have a nice easy path. But then when they leave and the obstacles come, they don't know how to handle it, and so. Princeton in particular, in the Ivy League, we generally get students who are extremely successful in the classroom and obviously on the ice, they're all the best players on their team and they're all very good in the classroom. And then when they come and they get their first B at Princeton, which is amazing, it's a Mm -hmm. failure to them instead of like, they look at, you know, they have to look at obstacles as opportunities. Instead of like something that stands in the way, I, I mean, and again, I don't have the science. It's like I just think that we need to we need to allow young kids to get through difficult situations on their own at a young age and figure out how to navigate those instead of solving the problems for them. I,
0: I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I, I I think our our, our philosophies are, are are bang on with each other because. I think one of the things that I notice uh, a lot in, in, in private practice and, and, and dealing with with teams is the one commonality that happens with a lot of these, well, for lack of better term, is catastrophic moments that we hear about in, in sports, youth sports, collegiate sports, even maybe even professional, is that when you try to go back in time and look at how this person dealt with failure in their life previously there is none
1: yeah they didn't Um,
0: my my parents took care of it my parents got on the phone and made the phone call my parents called the teacher my parents dealt with this so they don't even know how to self-advocate a lot of times and even ask for help to be quite honest with you but the scarier thing is that when they go through so much of their life to the point where they're now 19 20 21 22 and they have the first major piece of adversity hit them upside the head, it, it's catastrophic. Yeah. They, they, they've never fallen off a bike. Yeah. They, they've never really had to dust themselves off. So it's not just the, the perception of how bad this moment is. It's a lack of experience in picking themselves up.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, 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 you know, I, I believe in, in allowing kids to fail, Mm -hmm. and 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 when you fail fail fast go out there and fail fast so that it's it's not this dragging on experience where you're, you're you're not too sure if you put your full effort in and how it went put your full effort in fail fail fast if I had to wish on somebody so you know what works and what doesn't work but pick yourself up have that
1: experience yeah well I think you also see that now where this is one of the things I see and it's something we talk about a lot um there's so many athletes and, and probably people in general, but I deal with athletes, so many that they'd rather not fully try because they want that built-in excuse, rather than put themselves out there and, and fail. And we talk about it. It's better to put yourself out there and fall short than it is to second guess whether you know you know you you could have done something. But it holds a lot of athletes back because they think, well. What if I give everything I got and I don't make it? So I'm just going to give 50%. And, and then if I fail, well, maybe I could have done it. And it's kind of the worst mindset to be in as an athlete, because you never truly will reach your potential because you're just so afraid of failing that you have this built in backup defense mechanism.
0: It's, it's a brilliant point. You, you put up um, and, and I, I can tell you of a couple of major experiences I've had with professional teams where key people um, have stepped up and said, I just need to let you know that I, I've been nervous to go for it
1: mm-hmm.
0: because I don't want to let you guys down or I'm scared of not making it to the finish line. Mm-hmm. And you just see the oxygen that sucked out of the room, right? Because you have a group that truly, truly know within the team i'm giving it all that i've got yeah and i'm in full belief that you are too and and to now know that you haven't been swinging for the fence you've been bunting the whole time like what's the deal and 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 if not handled right that's a make or break moment for that team like that's that's a real make or break moment but i i couldn't agree with you more i i think there's this these two different philosophies that I come up with a lot in in, in in working with teams and athletes. And it's that fear of failure, which is a common one we all know about. But there's also the fear of success. Mm-hmm where, you know, you go out and you do the do and all of a sudden your coach comes flying out of nowhere and says, you know, oh, Kara, that was amazing. And, and like, this is what we've been talking about all year. And, and, and the fact that you scored a hat trick tonight, like, this is how good you can be. And we just need you to do what you did tonight for another 20 games. And you're like, I've had a game of my life. Like, oh my God, you, you expect this to be normal, right? Like every day, right? And, and I sometimes wonder if those are the things that That fuel the, this this lack of resiliency. I, I, I don't know I don't yeah,
1: know yeah, well when you're when you're coaching and you're only acknowledging outcome instead of process, like right, they can focus on the effort they gave instead of the three goals, probably get that athlete a little more confident to try it again. Hey, you know the way you skated led to this and you put yourself in the right places. But when you say, and you do to score those three goals again that's paralyzing
0: it's it's really cool what you just said right now when you talk about we're coaching outcomes not process that that's Mm -hmm. really brilliant what you're saying um i guess i want to touch on that maybe by asking this question like you you you, you've worked with some incredible athletes over the years and and i know that you have a few that have gone on to the olympics just recently and and congratulations to those that that around your team that, that, that were able to win Olympic gold this year. Yeah. But when you have a team that has such diversity and talent, how, how, how do you, how do you, how do you work that? Because you, you just brought up an amazing point where you, you talk about outcomes versus process and you've got world-class on the ice with you and, and, and as well as elite as well, or they wouldn't be there. But but it's it's two different types of tigers, literally, Mm -hmm. excuse the pun, in your jungle, right? Do you have any tricks on how you balance that to keep everyone pulling together?
1: Yeah, we try to celebrate a lot the things that don't show up on scoreboards. So we find our own way um, to create videos that highlight big back checks and block shots. And uh, we call them effort plays and the the superstars get enough recognition on their own and they don't want to be centered out for everything all the time so it's a good way and again it's more the process of the game the mm-hmm. things that so you know you beat an icing because you skated faster to negate an icing that's going to show up on our on our pregame video the next week so a lot of it is again finding what you value what the way you want them to play and then you catch them doing that stuff and then You know, the superstars get their attention from the media, from the votes, from the stats. And then the the support players, your depth players, they get validated when you show how much, even sometimes it's like the energy on the bench and you give them a a point for that energy on the bench and then you're getting everyone to feel valued.
0: That's awesome. (laughs) I love that. A point on the bench. That is absolutely, absolutely awesome. Um. (laughs) So, so I guess I got to ask, ask, you this question. Like you've got some really, really unique perspectives that, that you implore into your secret sauce when you, when you're making what you make. And mm-hmm. this is the inner Italian coming out here. Right. So like mm-hmm. I'm dying to peek over your shoulder to see besides garlic and onion, what you got in your sauce there. <laughs> and I guess I, the, the first question that I would have with that is like, where, where do you draw inspiration from when you're doing this? Cause you've got to be a, a creative soul to, to know what you can add and how to add when you're making your secret sauce. Right. And, and, and I, I tend to believe that comes from different forms of inspiration or you, or you wouldn't put it in the pot. Right. So yeah, where, where do you get that from all these cool?
1: I mean, my, my inspiration comes from players. Like that's, they're the ones that inspire me and feel me and fill my battery. But I, I say like, I learn a lot from pirating, like I, I talk to other coaches, I read a lot of books, I listen to a ton of podcasts, and I, and coaches are pirates, we find thing that works for one program, we try it in our program, if it works, we keep it, if it doesn't work, we're on to the next, so um, a lot of, a lot of professional development that way, um, like again, I, I got to do development camp with the Philadelphia Flyers this summer, so that was really cool that never I don't think have women got to be on the ice with the NHL guys and I'm picking their brains I'm in there asking them like looking at their metrics what things are you measuring what you know and talking about systems and talking about what works and like down to like stick placement so all sorts of things from tech tech x's and o's I'll be picking brains all the way to culture like the culture code by Dan Coyle one of my favorite books of all time and and he you're like it's you know, I not an analysis he has gone around and studied some of the best cultures in business, sports, um, school, everything. And he's condensed it for you. And, and there's little tricks in all those. So I just try to get information anywhere I can. And then I try it. And if it again, if it works, if it tastes good in the sauce, I keep it. If it makes the sauce crappy, I throw it out and look for another ingredient next time.
0: So so l- l- let me let me throw into the bus again here uh, a little bit more what was that like being on the ice with the Flyers and and what yeah. what did you what did you get to do because um, I I'm living by Terry yeah. here
1: um I got to coach which was really cool I was nervous at first cuz obviously I I don't think they've ever had a woman around them a lot of them so uh it, it was an amazing experience because you're always nervous when you go in but again you put on a brave face and again you had to go for it like I easily could have been like most and say no I'm I'm not ready or that's intimidating but I'm like heck yeah I want to come out and do this um and I definitely was like a unicorn in the building at first like they had to put up curtains where they would never have curtains before and and people were like what is this woman doing with skates on she's not our figure skating power skating coach um but then it was awesome when you put on your skates and you get on nice with a whistle, you're just a coach. And honestly, those guys don't care who you are if you can help them get better. And so yeah. it was amazing yeah. the way the players received me. The coaches were good because, you know, they're adults, and they know that gender equity is something they got to strive for, and they know that this is the time. But the players was what really surprised me because they came up right away, and they're just like, how can I fix this? And I give them my input and I coached them just And the thing is, they were, you know, 18 to 20-year-old guys, which is what I coach. It's all the same things. The issues they have are the same issues that my players have. They're just bigger, stronger, faster. But it's the exact same thing, like down to stick placement, down to watching hips, down to body position. And so it was awesome. And then the best part was when I was leaving, we started talking about the Canada-USA World Championship gold medal game that was on that night. And they knew so many of the players. They knew, like one guy even said to me, you coach their affiliate, don't you? Now, when you're a flyers development camp, you're a draft pick in the NHL, and you know that I coach their affiliate in college hockey, like to me, we're making huge strides. So it was an awesome experience, top to bottom, so many different ways. Uh, But what was really cool is I realized hockey's hockey. And it doesn't matter what gender we are, like the game is the same game
0: it's I, I i love what you say i i absolutely love it um <laughs> because uh, you're so right you know I, I often tell parents who who are there assessing their kids right and watching their kids play you know guys making six million bucks a year get paid to chip it off the glass
1: mm-hmm.
0: and guys making 10 million bucks a year they forget to get the guy in front yeah it's the same game you know yeah. the only difference is they make the they, they make the same mistakes. They just can make up for them a little bit faster. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and yep. it's, it's so it's so gospel what you say. Um, so I, I, as you can tell, I can take you hostage for for days on this, I, and, I, <laughs> and, I, and I'm very respectful of your, of your busy day. But I, I, I want to throw you again for my my, my hat trick here, of throwing into the bus. Over the years, working with so many different people. And, and, and knowing you have an, ec- an eclectic mind in, in how you, you rank things and, and, and rate things, you must have come across some incredible inspirational stories that, that not only stick with your heart, but maybe change a little bit of who you are. And, and, and I believe that comes from, from being mentally focused and being mentally in tune with your players, both on and off the ice you got any inspirational stories things that have stuck to your heart um because i i've got i've got one and i'll be i'm more than confident my story is going to be just a tearjerker for you so (laughs) uh, um you you have i'm sure you have a collection but maybe you you might have an athletic one and that talks about the mental side that grabbed your heart and and maybe might be inspirational to some listener or maybe well i think
1: i've been asked before more about like what was the biggest adversity that I've had to deal with or like what are one of those. And it's interesting. Cause it actually goes back to, and it's myself when I was 17 years old, I actually was not a hockey player most of my life. I actually played ringette till I was 17 and um, I was at the Canada games, which is the biggest event you can go to. It's the mini Olympics for ringette. It's like the biggest, probably the, it's the pinnacle of your career. And I went to the Canada games and um, it was team Ontario and we were supposed to win the whole thing. And my coach turned to me when we were playing BC, when we were losing, and he said, you need to go get the ring at all costs. And I told you, I don't ask why I do what I'm told. And I went out and I got the ring and I got kicked out and I got kicked out of the Canada games for, for five games. And it wasn't, it really wasn't that bad. It was a clean body check in ice hockey, been a ring there's no checking. However, I basically got kicked out of my sport in the biggest moment ever. And I could tell the longer story about all the, the ways that like I couldn't use the player entrance. I, I, you know, I had to sit in a roped off section by myself. It it was really kind of traumatic when, when you think about it. Um, But when it ended the tournament, we ended up not making it even to the playoff round. Um, I got kicked out for the five games and it ended the tournament. And uh, we were getting on the bus and someone said, we're going to, one of my players, one of my teammates said, we're all switching to hockey. And everyone cheered. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do that. And I switched to hockey because my dad always wanted me to play hockey. And we didn't really have girls hockey in my town. So I ended up going all the way to London in my first year. And at my first hockey tournament, I got recruited by Digit Murphy to go to Brown University. We ended up going to the Frozen Four three out of my four years I made the Canadian national team and if I didn't get kicked out of ringette I wouldn't be sitting here today so it is really weird that sometimes the worst moments in your life and people always say everything happens for a reason and everyone hates that expression and I would say there is always like a silver lining or one moment in your life as bad as it is leads to something that can be a positive moment so um I think getting kicked out.
0: <laughs> wow!
1: Led me down this path.
0: Wow! You are absolutely perfect for the Philadelphia <laughs> Flyers. <laughs> well,
1: they're struggling right now. Jeez. You're a
0: Broad Street bully. At <laughs> you are perfect, perfect, absolutely perfect. Oh my God! What an amazing story! What an amazing story! I um. This is really going to flip the two of us right now. So, so, so here's my story. Um, my story is is I've been coaching kids for about 20 years, and um, last year I had something first ever in my life. Kid calls me who had been in my life for well, I don't know seven eight years, and known him and his family really well, and calls me about 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, and I can tell that uh, he's been celebrating. <laughs> and I can hear his mom and dad in the background. And and he's like, Coach, um, I need to talk to you, coach. It's really important, coach. And I'm thinking, oh god, all right, like older kid now, right in his later 20s. And I'm thinking, okay, break up or yeah. Something, right? and, and as you mentioned, they want connection. Yeah. It's today they have no problems once they trust you. To pick up the phone in the middle of the night and they're going to ask you questions or tell you things, right? And um, I kind of hear it in the background. I, I hear his mom go, Did he ask? Did he ask? and I hear his dad kind of laughing. He's like, Coach, um, so like, um, I'm okay, so something happened, and I like, I, I need to let you know that something happened today, and and um so like okay and then I hear the mom in the background and said like, just give me a minute give me a minute I'm gonna ask okay fine I ask him right and I'm like okay cool so like um will you marry me <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like what what and now he's got me on speakerphone right and and the first thing that comes to mind is is buddy you're a great guy <laughs> Well, you're not my type. <laughs> so let's just stay friends, right? Like, he's like, 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 no, no, coach, no, no. She said yes. She said yes. <laughs> not you. Well, I love you, but I don't love you that way, coach. But like, will you marry us? So this this past summer, I actually married a kid that I that I I was the ceremony mc shall we say yeah yeah. to to uh to marry a kid uh that's really cool beyonce yeah so that's gonna be my next side hustle when i retire
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know what um one of my players did for this is gonna sound way smaller but it's funny because coaching is a profession where it's much like parenting like you give you give you give you give you give you rarely get anything back but so. um, then when they do, the smallest gesture, it just fills your battery and you can go a whole nother year. So uh, Claire Thompson, Sarah Fillier, they were the ones that won the Olympic gold. Um, and it's really cool because you're in China and, and they give you their burner phone number. So you're in contact. But when they won the world championships, Sarah, I mean, Claire Thompson had never made a national team in her life. She didn't come through the national team system. She wasn't on the under 18. She wasn't on under 22s. She makes the team after four years at Princeton. She makes the team, and she's in her first ever Team Canada tournament. It's a world championship. They win the gold medal. And she wrote me, obviously, the nicest text. I think she had been celebrating too when she wrote it. But the more meaningful thing was they came the next day. They got on like a red eye and came to Princeton. They didn't go home. They came to their team. But the point, the piece that really touched me was that Claire ran around in the, uh, in the airport and she brought me a bag of ruffles all dress chips because i can't get them here and it sounds so stupid but i almost started crying just because i'm like she wins her first ever gold medal at a world championship and and they haven't flat and gets on a red eye and thinks i need to bring tara some all dress ruffles and i was just like which that to me my battery was full another year whatever you guys mean i can give and give and give and give one bag of chips
0: yep one bag of chips you got me for the next 10 years i i i still get oh my god i've got goosebumps right now i swear (laughs) to god you're amazing you're amazing and um god bless god bless the sport for having amazing people like you in it god bless you um Kara. thank you so much for today um absolutely i I, i'm i'm gonna be getting information that will be attaching to this uh, for your lead with Cara program and, and any of our mm-hmm. listeners and viewers that watch this please reach out to her as you can see a wealth of knowledge sitting in front of us today uh, thank you so much for for spending time and being here with me on the, the headset podcast i can't thank thank you for you. having me it's been uh, great thank you so much uh,